Well, good morning, everyone. Every time I watch that video and I hear Zach's dilemma about his goat and his wife, I'm like, your life's going to change when you choose that goat over your wife. You and I are going to spend a lot of time together, Zach, fixing that problem. Well, welcome, everyone. Hey, uh, before we get too far in the conversation uh, this morning, let me just uh, reiterate again uh, the importance of these discovery groups. If you guys haven't been through one yet, uh, really like super duper encourage you to to do that. Uh, if you're newer to Grace, it's something you absolutely want to do. If you've been here for a while and you're not really connected outside of this room, so you, you love the church, you like services, things like that, but you would say, I don't, I don't have a ton of friends, I don't know a ton of people. This is what you need to do. You need to come to Discovery and go through that process. And by the time you're through it, like all of that will go away. And uh, you'll make those connections and kind of be able to find your way around uh, easily. So do that today if you can. Um, even if you haven't signed up, you can show up. We'll give you lunch and we'll uh, watch the kids and feed them too and try to make that as easy as possible. But uh, put that on your radar if you can. All right. So we're in a uh, series right now called My Life Changed When. And uh, through this series, what we're doing is we're looking and kind of realizing that God lays out a path for us. The Bible tells us this, that we are knit together in our mother's womb, that God knew that we were going to exist before we existed, and that God brought us to the planet for a reason. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Ephesians that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. And what that means is that as we move through life, God is molding us, shaping us, equipping us to do those good works or to fulfill kind of our purpose on the planet, the reason that he brought us here. And the Bible tells us that he molds us, he shapes us, he matures us, he completes us. And our lives change when, as God takes us down certain pathways and lands us certain places, we engage those defining moments and we become different people, right? It's how we grow, it's how we change, it's how we understand, and it's how God often works with us. So we've been talking about that uh, here for the last few weeks. I kind of identified some of those defining moments, not all of them, of course, but some of them. And uh, we've said, hey, when, when we kind of bump into a nerve for you, why don't you tell that story? Why don't you take uh, 90 seconds on your phone, shoot a quick video, don't go through the gospel from beginning to end. Don't tell your life story. Just say like, right, my life changed when this happened and this is what God did. Take that, put it on your social media platform of choice, hashtag it if you want my life changed when and get that bouncing around and help other people to know. What that does is it helps other people to know that God is alive God is active, he's still working. So when you do that, or you see your friend did that, or you see one of those and it resonates with you, share it and just get, get it moving around and help people to have that hope that, that, that you found through these, these times. So this weekend, uh, we're gonna keep talking about this. We've also been kind of for fun, almost been moving our campus pastors around. Uh, so last weekend, uh, Pastor Dan from our Norton campus was up here, did an 
awesome job. Love that guy. Uh, this weekend, I'm here. My name's Jeff. I, I am the pastor of this campus, so I'm where I belong this weekend. And then next weekend, Pastor Tony's coming over from the Medina campus. If you've never heard Tony, uh, he's awesome. I want to pre-warn you. He's painful to look at. You're going to be very disappointed very, very disappointed, especially when you get into high definition up on these screens. It's just an ouch cringe factor. And you'll know what I mean. When you notice it, when you see the blemishes in his face, note it, tweet about it, and just make sure that other people are prepared to be here for the weekend. So you're going you're gonna to love Tony, and uh, it'll be fun to have him home a little bit. This weekend, we're going to be talking about my life changed when I experienced loss. Experience loss. So we're going to have a little bit of a heavy conversation this weekend. And uh, to be honest with you, I've been, uh, dread is too strong of a word. I've been thinking a lot about this conversation. When, when uh, we organized this back last summer, I'm the one that put this conversation kind of on the docket. And I've been thinking about it ever since because I thought, man, to, to have this conversation and to have it in a real way, um, I'm going to have to visit some things that I don't always like visiting. So uh, we're all going to be that way a little bit uh, this weekend. We're going to talk about some things and lean into some places that we don't always like because when we talk about loss, we'd rather not talk about it, right? We'd rather talk about the upsides of life and the fun of life and all those kind of things. But when we think of our life and we think of our life's journey, loss is a major part of that. It's a real part. It's a normal part of life. And it's in times of loss that God tends to teach us the most. It's not in the times of plenty when everything's cruising along. A lot of times when life is going well and going awesome, we tend to take credit for it ourselves. Look what I pulled off. When we go through times of loss, we realize, man, God has me here. And we're to, we're to understand that. James chapter one says we're to count it joy whenever we face trials of many kinds because the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so we're mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that's what times of loss does. It matures us, it completes us, it molds us. And it's a part of how God uh, journeys with us. So we're gonna talk about that this weekend. We're gonna have a little bit of a different conversation because we're gonna bounce around the Bible a, mut, a, a, a bunch. Uh, a lot of times when we talk, we'll kind of set up in one spot and really dig at it. But we're gonna kind of cover this idea a little bit broadly and help you with it. And as I was uh, preparing for this, I'll be honest with you, kind of my pastor's heart took over. So I'm not always the most warm and fuzzy person in the world. I try to be nice. I'm just no good at it. Uh, but I do love you. And it really kind of came to the forefront for me because I realized we're not good at this. And we're not good at helping other people through loss. We're not good at going through it ourselves. And I wanted to build this conversation in such a way that you can walk out and kind of know what to do and have some tangible things. So I actually put a bunch of notes in your program. You can write there. If, you can go out on version if you want. The notes are there as well. And those are there so that you kind of have them as, uh, as you go through these, these times of loss, okay? Now, when we talk about loss, what are we talking about? When we talk about loss, we're not just talking about death, Okay, so death is certainly a loss, and all of us have and will face death in our lives in one way or another. But loss is broader than death, right? So it's loss of a dream, loss of a relationship. It's a divorce, or it's my dad wigging out, or my mom going nuts, right? It's a loss of a relationship. It's a breakup. It's a loss of an expectation. I really thought I was going to play football 
in college and I blew my knee out last game of my senior year, right? It's a loss of a dream, loss of an expectation. So loss shows up in a bunch of different ways and it all has profound effects for us. When we talk about loss, we're not talking about disappointment, right? It's different. So we were gonna go to Cedar Point, but it's raining. Oh man, right, that's disappointment. We wanted Rockneys today, but St. Hillary's let out early. Eh, gone it, you know. It, it's, so we're not talking about disappointment. We're talking about loss and loss that would cut down deeply in us. Now this is where this becomes fascinating because as human beings, when we experience loss, the Bible says this, the Bible says that a human, as a human being, I'm created in the image of God which means a bunch of things, but one of the things it means is this, that my emotions and my spiritual journey are usually intertwined. So as a human being, when I go through a loss, I will usually look and say, God, where are you? Very unique, right? God, where are you? I had this big dream, I really wanted it, it got wiped out. God, why did you let that happen? Uh, I used to live this lifestyle. We had this big house and took vacations and I got downsized and my wife got downsized and the, ha- the bank took the house and God, why did you let that happen to me? So as human beings, when we have emotional pain, we have spiritual pain and it becomes a spiritual question. It becomes an issue of do, do, do I trust God? Does God love me? Is he, does he know what's going on? Right? And it's fascinating how all that intersects. So it's, it's not, when we talk about experiencing loss, it's not like just self-helpy stuff. It really gets into the heart and the mind and the character of God. And understanding that, understanding as one who is trying to love someone else and help them through their time of loss, and then for me, like when I go through a time of loss, what, what do I need to remember or focus on as I'm going through that time as well? So we're gonna talk about uh, this, this subject kind of from those two perspectives. If I'm a friend or a family member, a loved one, and I'm trying to help and love somebody else as they go through a time of loss, what do I do and what do I need to remember? And then we're gonna flip that coin And as I go through it, what do I need to know and believe and trust about the heart and the mind of God, okay? So we're gonna look at it that way. So let's start with the beginning. How do we help someone who is going through the time of loss and how can I be a faithful friend, a great parent, a loving child, whatever your role is, how can I express and kind of be the hands and feet of Jesus to someone who's in need? In order to to show you how to do this, I wanna explain some things to you about how we grieve when we lose something. Now remember, it's not, most time when we think of grief, we just think of death, it's not just death. If If I'm an athlete, and I've been an athlete my whole life, and I blow my knee out, and suddenly I can't do that, I'm going to grieve that loss, right? If I, if I have been healthy and, and strong and vibrant, and suddenly I have a major illness that robs me of my independence, I'm going to grieve that past life. So how do we help someone in those circumstances? And let's just talk for a minute about grief and how that plays out, and I'll show you how to Help somebody with it, okay? So here's the first thing I want you to know. When you're trying to help somebody, here it is. Grief is a wound that tends to make other people feel uncomfortable. That's just the way it is. 
And in order to help them, we have to overcome that uncomfortable feeling, right? So if I, if I walked into uh, church this weekend, I was on crutches and had a knee brace on, you would come up to me and be like, what did you do? And I'd be like, I blew my knee. And you would say, well, how did you blow your knee? And I would say, oh, my nachos were burning. I jumped off the couch. I tripped on the remote and right, blew it because that's about the only way I'd ever blow my knee, <laughs> right? And so it'd be, it'd be some kind of accident with a TV involved, right? And so... We would talk about it, we would laugh. He would say, yeah, did you blow, did you blow it on the inside, the outside, well, how, oh, I blew my knee in high school. Like we, you would engage that conversation if I had a physical wound. If I came in the church and I was misty-eyed and looked like I hadn't slept in two days and was kind of down in the face and you said, what's wrong with you? And I said, um, my uncle, who I was very close to, died last night. Here's the response usually, oh, man, well, he's in heaven, see ya, right? We're uncomfortable when there's grief and so we'll do and say like dumb things that are usually more hurtful. So I, this person died, well, you know, God prunes his roses and takes them to heaven, like smack, I mean, oh, it's terrible. Or we'll throw verses at each other at the right verse, wrong time, right? What's wrong? Man, I just, I just, I gotta lay it off. Well, you know, the Lord is your provider. Shut up, right? <laughs> we, we will say these things because we don't know what to do. And so we'll, we'll, we'll throw a bunch of words or we'll, we'll be weird with each other. What we won't usually do is simply engage a person with a feeling that we might have experienced or understood as well. So here's three things real quick about this. I just wanna show you real quick. Oh, first of all, let me show you Job, I love this. In the book of Job in the Old Testament, Job is a, a guy who lost his family, lost his health, lost his business, like just got wiped out. And a big part of the book of Job is his friends talking to him and they weren't helpful at all. I love this in Job 16, one through three, Job finally snaps <laughs> and he says this. Then Job replied, I've heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end, right? You ever feel like that? I love it. When someone is going through a grief or a loss, here's three little things to remember. Number one, say very little. Words are not often your friends, right? Be quick to listen, slow to speak. The scripture says, say very little. Proverbs 17, even a fool keeps, who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. Say very little, right? Second, extend love. John and John, Jesus says, I want you to love each other as I've loved you. So extend love. Third thing, be present. Proverbs says a friend is present at all times. Now, what does this look like? What would this look like? Uh, last night, on Saturday night, where we have services and there are lots of seats and there's parking available, I'm just saying. I was talking to a friend, he came out after service and we had this conversation, he came up to me, he was in tears. And I said, very little, I said, what's going on, man? He said, I got cancer, I got cancer, man. And they told me I got cancer. Oh, bro, and it's bad. Oh, man, right? I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, that must, that must be terrifying. Yeah, I'm really scared. I love you, man. I love you, can I pray with you right now? 
Yeah. Prayed quick, gave him a hug. Listen, you text me. You talk to me, right? I want to be here with you no matter what. We'll go through this together. All right. Okay, man, I love you. That's it. That's it. Now, listen, what else is there to say? Right? There's nothing to say. Not at that moment. And he wasn't asking. What was he saying? He's saying, will you mourn with me? I'm mourning. Will you you come into this process with me, man? I I need my pastor to know. That's it. Right? And guys, that, that oftentimes is what it means. And we, we don't shy away because awkward emotions, right? We engage it, but we engage it just where a person's at and what, what they're going through. Now, that little principle, those little three things, cuts across all spectrums of loss. When your 15-year-old son comes home and just got cut from the varsity football team, See, you, you don't go with a bunch, well, son, when I was 15, I'll tell you when, one time back in the Civil War, I was, that's what they're hearing. They, they don't care, right? Well, son, there's always soccer. You know, uh, your coach is an idiot. I can't believe he doesn't know talent. When he, uh, all that's going to do is sow the seeds a bit. No, buddy, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I love you. I'm proud of you whether you're on that football field or not. You hear me? You want to hang out? You want to do something tonight? Oh, I just want to be left alone right now, Dad. Okay. I'm going to come down a little bit and check on you, all right? When your daughter comes home and gets dumped the week before prom, right, how do you engage it? You engage it in a loving way. You know, well, there's lots of fish in the sea, honey. When I first met your dad, that's gross, Mom, right? It's, it's the, see, it's, it's a real loss. It truly hurts, okay? And whether it's a job or a dream or health or death, whatever, however that loss expresses itself, engage it, but engage it with a gentleness, a love, a sympathy, right, that you would do it. Okay, here's the second thing. Second thing we need to understand is, remember, we're the friend helping now, right? So we're the friend helping. Here's the second thing. Second thing about grief is we set the patterns for navigating loss in our childhood, we set the patterns for navigating loss in childhood. First Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I used to think like a child. I reasoned like a child. <clears throat> when I became a man, I did away with childish things. That's what the scripture says. Now I'm gonna add to my words, ready? Bible's done, now this is what Jeff is saying. And when I go through loss, I tend to start acting like a child again. Now, five, six years ago, my mom and dad died. My dad died 53 weeks to the day later my mom died. Mom and dad lived with us for almost a decade. So when they died, it was in our house, like that reality was with us every day. So they died, my kids are hurting, my wife is hurting, and I am reeling from this loss, right? I acted childishly. My temper, and I would pout, and I would be frustrated, I'd stomp off. If you had lived with me during that time, you would have not come to church and listened to me talk. And my emotions and heart was just spinning out of control. 
And finally, I kind of, I realized that. I was like, we are going to like bad places. I wanted to quit the church. I wanted to move. I went, I'm like, this is not going well. So I reached out for help. And I called my friend, pastor, or Bishop Joey Johnson, pastor's the house of the Lord, he's a friend of mine. I said, Bishop, I'm in trouble, man. Will you help me? And he, wonderful, wonderful friend and pastor, met me. And I, he said, tell me what's going on. I told him. <clears throat> he goes, let me ask you some questions. <clears throat> I said, all right. He said, can you remember the first time you, you experienced grief in your life? I thought, well, that's a weird question. But as soon as he asked me, I did. He said, tell me about it. I said, I was 12 years old. My dad had a stroke. And we went from like a happy, normal family and everything literally flipped upside down one afternoon. I said, and I grieved that. He said, you remember how you reacted, what you were thinking as a 12-year-old little boy? I said, actually, I do. He said, what were you thinking? I said, I was thinking, I was the youngest in my family, so my mom's reeling, my older sister's reeling, my other sisters, my other brother and my sister were out of the house. So I said, I remember thinking, I don't want to burden anyone. Everybody's having a hard time. I'll just try to make it on my own. He said, did any other adult that you trust ever hurt you in that process? I I said, immediately, I go, yes. He goes, tell me about it. I knew the incident instantly. I said, it was my eighth grade science teacher. So what happened? I said, I had a science fair. I didn't want to embarrass my dad by asking him to build me something for my science fair because he couldn't do it. My dad was one of those guys, if he could see it in his head, he could build it with his hands. And that ability was gone after the stroke. I didn't want to embarrass my dad. I didn't want to burden my mom. So I came up with a solution. My sister had her eighth grade science fair stuff. I took it, redid the research, used the machine and the board and handed it in. I was not trying to cheat. I was not trying to be sneaky. I was trying to survive, right? I'll never forget ever walking to class one day. My eighth grade science teacher, I won't say his name, but I remember it, grabbed me on the landing of the steps by the arm. And he said, I know what you did, Jeff Bogue. You are a liar and you are a cheater and you're never gonna amount to anything. And Pastor Bishop Johnson said, what'd that do for you? I said, I decided as a 12-year-old in that moment that I would never trust someone with my feelings again. And I spent most of my life trying to prove my eighth grade teacher wrong that I can actually amount to something. And he said, you're acting like a 12-year-old right now. And I said, you're good. That was it. I was, I was hurting so bad, I didn't know what to do. I would lay in bed at night and my, my heart would flutter. I learned later it was an anxiety thing. I didn't know that. Never, I never had anxiety issues, right? My heart would flutter. And I would lay there and I'd be weepy about my dad and my mom and my mind would be racing and my heart would be fluttering and I would just become irate. So angry at Heidi. It's Heidi's fault. Heidi doesn't care. Heidi doesn't know. Heidi's cold-hearted, right? 
and anger. And ladies, let me give you a little tip about men. When men are angry, when, when men are angry, they sound angry. When men are scared, they sound angry. When men have anxiety, they sound angry. When men are insecure, they sound angry. We're just angry. And that was my predominant emotion. And I was irate and vile and vicious in my mind with Heidi. And I needed her to help me. I needed her to hold me. I needed her to tell me it was okay. I needed her to cry with me. And I never said a word. Because the 12-year-old me never told anybody how bad life was. The 12-year-old me just performed the 12-year-old me was proving my science teacher wrong. See how it works? Now, this is huge. As a friend, as a loved one, you're watching somebody wig out, and you're like, what is your deal? Good night, man. You just lost a job. Get another one. And you watch all this, and the Bible says this. The Bible says, God, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And when someone is going through a loss, their friends and their loved ones, this is what we have to do. We have to look through them, not at them. Through them, not at them. You're acting like a kid, right? Because this is where I learned to deal with this stuff. And a faithful friend will meet them there and say, hey, listen, let's process this through in a healthy way, a good way. Let's walk this thing through. Because you're you're responding Your instinct is just to do what you know. We're all like that with everything. We do what we know. And where I first learned to grieve about something is when I'm a kid. So here I am, a 35, 40-year-old man acting like a 12-year-old because it's what I know. See how it works? And the people that came around me and helped me love me through that until I could kind of figure out a little bit what was going on and respond the way that I wanted to respond. Now, here's the third thing as the friend, right? The third thing is this. Mourning has no timeline. Mourning has no timeline. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 and 4, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, time to be born, a time to die, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. Some of you might be familiar with the stages of grief, like stage one through seven. I actually don't believe in the stages of grief. I believe in a season of mourning. Here's the thing with seasons. This is really important, ready? Seasons are temporary, but they are not structured. They're temporary, but they're not structured. We are Northeast Ohioans, we know this. Because we can look and say, it's summertime, it's a season, it's July, why is it 40 degrees outside? Within a season, things will go like this, and that's true when you mourn. There is no click it off when someone is going through a time of loss. When I went through my time of loss, the biggest pressure I felt was that people legitimately needed me to be back to normal. They were not, not being jerks. But here I am, my parents had died. Well, my children's grandparents died. People they saw and interacted with all day, every day. Somebody in their home died. Heidi would say my mom was her best friend. She died, right? I have a staff, I had over 100 people work for me. 
They need, they need me to be normal. I have, you guys have thousands of people that, that I, I influence and lead. Needs me to be normal, right? And nobody's being a jerk. It's what you need. But I couldn't be normal. I couldn't do it. I wanted to be normal. I couldn't just get over it. I couldn't say stage one, done. Stage two, nailed it. Stage three, woohoo. Right? It doesn't work that way. Seasons are temporary, but they're not structured. And the, my dear friends and, and staff members and others came around me and started to insulate me a little bit. And they, they just knew this has to run its course. You can't ask that of Jeff right now. He literally can't land that for you. So when we go through seasons of loss, we look at somebody and say, man, my, my employee came back to, to work. You know, his, his, uh, his wife finished chemo two weeks ago. What's his problem now? He's still processing that. They, they got divorced. Lots of people get divorced. What's her? Why is she so weird? She's grieving it. She's not just clicking it off, right? So those that love surround those who are hurting and we help them walk through those times until that's completed. I wrote this in my notes. When someone goes through a divorce, when an athlete gets hurt their senior year, when teenagers break up, when a grandparent dies, when we lose a dream job, when we lose a child, all these things are real to the person suffering the loss and their path to health is theirs to travel, we travel with them. See, we don't demand that they finish up. We go with them. We love them. We support them. We run beside them. We don't leave them or forsake them. We get to kind of play that role of Jesus with skin on in their life. But they will complete that when they complete that. I can look at you and say, my season of mourning has finished. Right? I'm, not, I'm not devastated like I was, but it, I could say that two years later, three years later, right? It's two pretty big hits for us. See how that works? And people love and help as we go through it. Okay, so as a friend, that's me. Now, let's flip the coin. Let's talk about if you are going through the season of loss, you're experiencing loss, what can you remember? What can we kind of anchor ourselves to as we're in that time of storm? How do we embrace the story that God is writing? Here it is. When it's seasons of loss, I should try to remember this. First, always remember that God loves and sympathizes with you. Flip your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter four. I'm gonna make one point in th- three pieces, okay? So I'm gonna kind of show you this whole thing. We're going to start by trusting the heart and the mind and the character of God. How can we do that? Here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. I'm going to remember I have a high priest that sympathizes with me. Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's not unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus went through life and experienced every aspect of humanity that you and I experience. He empathizes and sympathizes with the full spectrum of our needs, 
the full spectrum of the trials that we face from sin to emotional issues. And he empathizes and sympathizes with that. That's a huge thing because my empathy and sympathy changes my relationship with the people that I'm empathizing and sympathizing with, right? So I have a unique sympathy and empathy for people who have lost their parents. And when they're struggling, I don't look at them and say, hey, dummy, why don't you get your act together? <laughs> I look at them, I say, I, man, I understand. I love you, I'm gonna be right there with you. If you've gone through a divorce, you have a unique empathy and sympathy for a friend who's going through a divorce. And you don't look and say, well, you probably blew your marriage up if you would have done X, Y, Z. You look and say, man, oh, I hurt with you, I love you. I have some friends here at church that lost a child. And they've come to me multiple times and they've said, somebody loses a child, you call us immediately. We want to be by their side. Why? They, they sympathize with the pain. See? When you sympathize and empathize and you look at someone else going through the pain that you've gone through, you don't look at them harshly, you look at them compassionately. When Jesus sees us experience loss, he looks at us and he's not like, well, you should have gone to church more. If you, if you would have read your Bible more, then that wouldn't have happened, right? I don't know why Jesus talks like he's from California, but he does. And so, right, so he, he doesn't look at us like that. He looks and says, ah, I hurt with you. My friend Lazarus died. Judas, who I thought was my friend, betrayed me. I was separated for a long time. And he says, you come into my throne room, come see me. And when you come to see me, what you will receive from me is mercy and grace. It's incredibly important that when we're going through times of loss, we remember that we have a high priest who sympathizes and empathizes with us. Now, take that, and we're gonna add another thought to it. Here's the next one, ready? Layer on to that this idea that when I go through or experience loss, what I am left with is a choice. And I have to choose to run to the answers. Okay, now let's just talk about this for a second. When you go through a time of loss, what you lose is control, right? So if, if it was up to you, you wouldn't have laid yourself off. If, if, it, if it was up to you, you wouldn't have had an investment go bad. You wouldn't have got cut from the football team. You wouldn't have been betrayed by a friend, right? All of us are like that. We don't, we don't go looking to be hurt. So when I go through an experience of loss, I lose control. I don't have control of my health anymore. What do I have then? I have the ability to make a decision. And the decision is, Am I gonna run to the questions and live in the questions or am I gonna run to the answers and live in the answers? What are the questions? The questions are legit because our emotions are tied to our relationship with God. God, where are you? Why did you let this happen? Do you love me? Do you care about me? Do you even know what's going on? I have, I have been with families and as a pastor, we, we live in this world a lot, right? Where people have horrible losses. And by the way, we want to live there with you. You go through a horrible loss, we want you to call us, right? 
but we just uniquely deal with it more than like most people would. And I've still with families and they've gone through the most horrific, horrible things you could imagine and they're left with a choice. They're asking very real questions, very fair questions and questions that do not intimidate or offend God. In fact, he says in James chapter one, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask and I will give it generously to you without finding fault. God, do you love me? Fair question, because it's hard to figure that out right now. This is what I found. The people who run to the questions and live there are tormented by that loss the rest of their life. Because here's the reality. There are answers. There is no answer to that. Why did this happen to me? And if you think about that long enough, you can't come up with an answer. God, if you did this in the Bible, why wouldn't you do this for me? How come, I am so, I was the faithful one. How come I had integrity and ethics and that jerk got my promotion? It's a fair question. And you won't get an answer. Can't figure it out. And God would be sympathetic to that, right? There's certain things in your life that you're not gonna know the answers to on this side of heaven. And the people who live in those questions are overwhelmed by those questions and bitterness and resentment and anger, all that sets up and starts defining them. But there's a choice. I can leave the question where it is and I can go to the answer. And deciding to go to the answer is not denial. It's a decision. I'm not denying the question, I'm just going to what I know. What I know is there is a God who loves me and will do anything for me, and let me show it to you. Go to the Bible, Romans chapter eight. Go back to the left just a little bit. Let me show you what I mean. Romans chapter eight, verse 31 and following. Look at this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Ready, verse 32. It's one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. Ready, it's huge when it comes to the heart and mind of God. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What, it's a hugely important verse. What, what is the Bible saying right there? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. What, what's it talking about? Jesus came to earth, lived, died. Jesus is the son of God. He was beaten, he was humiliated, he was mocked, he was spat upon, he's crucified on the cross, he hung there until his lungs filled with his own bodily fluid and he suffocated. He died a horrible death and why did he do that? So that you and I could have the forgiveness of sin and be able to reestablish our relationship with God that we were meant to be built, we were meant to have. Jesus created that. Now, this is not talking about Jesus, this is talking about the Heavenly Father. He who did not spare his own son, what does that mean? That means that the heavenly father gave his son Jesus, watched him be beat and humiliated, crucified on the cross, ready? Could have stopped it and didn't. Why not? Why didn't the father intervene? Well, his righteousness had to be justified, and Jesus was a propitiation. Well, shut up. Take your seminary answer and do whatever you need to do with it. 
Why didn't the father stop it? There's one motive. Because he loves you. Think about this. The enormity of the father's love for you to override a father's instinct to save and rescue his own son. What does that say about the father's love for you and me? Because he could have, 10,000 angels were at the ready. All Jesus had to do was cry out and all the father had to do was say, that's enough. We're gonna start the world over. We're gonna start history. I created it all. I'm gonna destroy it all. It's mine. But he loved you and me so deeply that when given the opportunity to spare his own son, he chose not to. Why? Because he passionately loves you and me. I'll be honest with you. If I had to give up one of my boys to save your soul, you're in trouble. Because I would spare my sons. I love you. I don't love you that much. I just, I'm being honest. You don't love me that much. The overwhelming love of God, the enormity of the love of God that he would not spare his own son to provide a way of escape for you and me. So he can never be lost. So when I'm going through a time of loss, I have a high priest that sympathizes, Jesus sympathizes with me, and I have a heavenly father who loves me passionately and would look at me and say, hey, you're not gonna understand all this, Even if I explained it, it wouldn't make sense. Your questions are legitimate. I'm not cold-hearted. I care for you. And the one thing that you can be sure of is I passionately and deeply and truly love you. Run over here. Now, I was raised in a home that I watched this happen. My brother, Doug, was killed when he was eight years old, drunk driver, hit my family, Doug hit his head and died two days later. And I watched my mother and my father live in this answer over here. Not in denial, because the questions don't go away. They just chose not to be defined by them. My mom, everybody knew that you don't bug mom on Doug's birthday. Everybody knew that. We just, all of us kids knew, you leave mama alone today. She can't handle it. I watched my father, as an old man, blame himself. I'll never forget the conversation. Dad, we didn't have to go out that night. I wanted to go out that night. I should have never been on the road. Dad. The questions don't go away. And I watched my father five hours before he died, eager to be with his son again. When you go through loss, you you lose control, but you're given a decision. And running to the questions, you can do it, it'll just never be answered. We're running to an answer. 
Come into my throne room. You receive mercy, grace. I love you so much. I, I didn't even intervene for my son because I wanted you. And you can live there. We can survive there. We can thrive there. Now, high priest that sympathizes, a father who passionately loves. Here's the last piece, okay? Here it is, ready? When I'm going through a loss, I need to travel through the valley of the shadow of death or through the loss. So Psalms 23, I only know it in the old King James, so I'm gonna go old school on you here for a minute, right? Ready? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, there's a very important word in that sentence. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When I go through a loss, when I experience a loss, when I experience the death of a dream, it's a breakup, it's a divorce, it's my dad wigging out, it's an affair, it's, it's everything that happens to us. The valley of the shadow of death is something I travel through, ready? I don't live in it. I go through it. And when I'm going through the valley of shadow of death, don't set up a tent. Go through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Loss is a season. It is not to be our identity. And when I set up a tent, loss becomes my identity instead of my season. When loss becomes my identity, what happens is death creeps into all the healthy parts of my life. So when I decided to be defined by my loss, my future is defined by it too. For many of us, the reason that our second marriage isn't working is because we're so bitter and frustrated with our first one and death has creeped into it. The the reason that our new job isn't going well is I am so mad about what my boss did to me at my old job that now I, I don't trust anybody. And when we set up a tent and start living in the valley of the shadow of death, death moves into the rest of our life and starts to poison the future that God wants to give us. I love the rest of Romans. Look back, Romans chapter eight. Look at verse 37. In all, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Look at this, verse 38. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither powers or future, nor, nor any powers, neither height nor death or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now let's combine all these pieces, ready? I have a high priest that sympathizes with me, Jesus. He's not ticked off, he understands because when I go through a loss, I have a unique sympathy for the next person that goes through it. I have a heavenly father who loves me. I have tons of questions that aren't answers, but I have tons of answers that I can actually live in. He didn't even spare his own son because he loved me that passionately. Now I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm not gonna set up tent there and start living, why? Because, ready, thou art with me. And nothing was gonna separate you from me. Right? I paid for you with my son's life. I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna forsake you. 
And we're going to go through it together. And it's not going to define you. You're more than a conqueror. I'm going to define you. But you're going to go through these hard times. Why? All that's not going to make sense. With who? Me. And we're going to journey through this together. And you're going to come out on the other side molded and shaped, matured and completed, and ready, equipped, set up to do the good works that I prepared in advance for you to do. I just scribbled down these notes to myself when I was working on this talk yesterday. My life changed when I experienced loss. My perspective on life deepened. My bond to Heidi strengthened. My dependence on God clarified. And my compassion for others intensified. When you experience loss, your life's going to change. That's just the way of it. What it changes into. See, suddenly I get to participate with God in that process. You're going through a loss. You trust God in that process. Are you looking for what he's trying to give you? One of the things Heidi and I realized, we, we had, by the time we were 40, we buried three of our four parents. We're very young to not have parents. And we realized that God gave us the ability to help our friends because he asked us to go first. Right? So our friends that are our age, folks are getting older, they're starting to pass away. Guess who can help? Guess who wants to? Guess who sympathizes? God trusted us with that. I watched my mother do this. She would be on the phone for hours with other moms who lost their kids. Just guess who knows, guess who helps, guess who sympathizes. Experiencing a loss, trusting God, his heart, his mind, his character. And how, you gonna, how can God, what's, how's he helping you to redeem that? What's he gifted you with? Why did he write that chapter in your story? And how can you use it right, to bring glory to him? My life changes when. Right? And God loves us and helps us when it does.